Hey everybody, welcome back to Rumor Flies. I'm Josh. I am Ryan. And I'm Greg. I've been Media. Media. I got that one, I think. I think I went that Is this going to be a running thing from now on? Yeah. Oh, I'm okay. cool with a race to promote my company. <laughs> welcome back to this episode. Today is a very special one that uh, we have been debating for a long time doing. I don't even think we really debated. I think we're all like, oh, well, just pick the right It was an easy sign on. It oh. was maybe more of a debate <laughs> when we were going to do it. Yes. Like, specifically what season we were going to release it. Because it was always off happen. of the Dan Collin impression still? Yes. Yes. That's exactly it. Oh, yeah. If uh, you haven't checked out April Fool's episode, go do that. Yeah, it's we fun. all did uh, imitations of different shows. Um, I've had... never pulled out so many hair trying to put that episode together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we put more effort into that show than our normal one. <laughs> no, we had uh, Josh did Dan Carlin from Hardcore History. Ryan, I, I wonder how many penalty shots you're owed for that. None. Ryan did Lore, uh, did Aaron Mankey, and I did Cecil from Welcome to Night Vale. But Ryan, quick thing. Shout out to him. He did all the music and all the sound. Like he, he we all recorded and put a lot of work in. But uh, he surprised me with all sound. Like, oh, by the way, I completely wrote and recorded a uh, background music for your set. Like, now you you're it. now you're leaving me the option of whether I should edit that whole thing out because it's a giant pat on my back. But we'll see. <clears throat> we'll see how I'm feeling come editing time. Yeah, you can keep it. So, do we want to jump into this? Yes. We'll so see. we last season was it last season? Oh, the Doctor Oz and. Um, Alex, Alex Jones. Jones. So we were debating between whether doing this episode or that one. So ultimately we went with that one. But now we're here talking about Cosmopolitan. Not only mm-hmm. that, this is very much in the same line of uh, snake oils, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should clarify. Cosmopolitan, the magazine, not the drink. Yes. Cosmopolitan <laughs> myths. Now we are a soccer mom's podcast. Myth one, it does not actually exist. False. It is a real beverage. Shaken, not stirred. <laughs> so Ryan, why don't you start us off with a primer for the episode? Wait, no, he doesn't do Cosmopolitans. That's like a, what's the girl version of James Bond? Jemima Bond? I just fix your Aunt Jemima. <laughs> I like to put a little bit of whiskey in my Mrs. Butterworth. <laughs> oh, Christ. So, anyway, Brian. Cosmo. We're yeah. talking about a Cosmopolitan magazine. <laughs> we broke Josh five minutes in. Jemima. Aunt Jemima. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, anyway, uh, yeah, so we decided that, once again, journalism is a big part of people getting what information they take in, and we've talked about this a million times. People read it. They don't feel like backing it up because it's in a publication that they couldn't write for off the bat. So it's probably true. It's just one of those things where you have to put some trust in people. And a lot of magazines take advantage of that. And we've noticed that Cosmopolitan, we didn't want to go to the level where we, like, give sex like go over the sex tips because that's just i don't know i didn't want to step on that ground or anything like that i think that's hard to like sit there and prove like this actually works this doesn't like i I don't know so we're going to be talking about aphrodisiacs with cosmopolitan and this article is pure gold it's not very well it's not it's just a list of 10 different things we'll post it on the on the show notes and everything Mm -hmm. um and we are going to address each one one by one like a lightning round pretty much because they didn't provide too much information on why it has it. We're going to pretty much read almost the entire article for you because, well, it's not that much to read. Uh, but we're going to just jump straight into them. Uh, we've got a little primer on this for anybody that isn't familiar. Uh, we're sure everybody in our listenership knows already what an aphrodisiac is because y'all are smart. But um, Super smart. The layman's term for an aphrodisiac is anything that it aids in uh, getting you randy or ready for sexual intercourse. F-ing. Yeah. I think we've been over this one for the other one, <laughs> uh, other episode. Uh, the word comes from, the, it stems from, <laughs> damn it. 
The word stems from the Greek goddess Aphrodite, who is the goddess of love, beauty, and procreation. She's also known as Venus in the Roman terms. Uh, everybody's seen the painting of like the birth of Venus, where she's coming out of the clamshell and just like, oh no, I'm a little bit naked. That one. Everybody knows it. Totally. Yeah. Goats so. and my goats. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Now, to counter this Cosmo article, or for our best reference, I actually went out and bought this book because it's very, very interesting, Like aside from just the topics that we're doing today. I'd suggest checking it out because it's got tons of awesome lore, it's easy to understand, and it's not too heavy on the science. But it's called Natural Aphrodisiacs by Ravi Puri, and he is a Ph.D., so I would assume that he knows a little bit about these things. I don't think he's a Ph.D. in like art history or anything like that. I think it actually has to do with this type of subject matter. So... Um, his requirements for something to be considered an aphrodisiac is for it to either be a material that can cause direct stimulation, so yes. give you a boner or, you know, um, loop the engine. Real nice. Um, cause hormonal stimulation, oh. impart tranquilizing or relaxing effect, mm-hmm. or balance and regulate the body. I don't know what that is. That's completely vague, but, you know, we'll go ahead and just stick with it. We'll use those little um, guidelines to determine whether these are aphrodisiacs or not. So, um... Are we ready to go into it? Yeah, you start us off. So, number one on the article is something we're so akin to is hot chilies, or at least I am. Now, this actually got me very happy to see this on here because, you know oh, me. Oh, how happy, Ryan? Like six to midnight happy? Uh, <laughs> I was at half mass when I read it at first. <laughs> threat level midnight. Jeez, and we're going to really have to get through this. Oh, God, we're so mature. So, as most people know already, capsaicin is a chemical found in fiery peppers, and it increases circulation to get blood pumping and stimulates nerve endings so you'll feel more turned on. That's what Cosmo says. Now, That's here, it. Here's the thing. I don't know about you guys, but going back to the hot pepper video, I, was say, I, I was, felt none of these I things. was not aroused. <laughs> <laughs> I was sad and angry. I'm just glad the camera didn't pan under the table. <laughs> So anyway, uh, capsaicin, as everybody knows, is the main component in chili peppers. That and dihydrocapsaicin are the two main things that make your mouth feel spicy when you eat something, or your eyes, or whatever else you touch with it that isn't like just main skin, uh, the sensitive skin mainly. But the way capsaicin works is that it actually tricks your nerve endings into thinking that they are at a heat level above, I want to say, 160 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. Don't quote me on that number. But it pretty much makes it think that your body temperature at that localized point is hotter than it is. Therefore, it also releases endorphins, which is interesting because it's kind of like a painkiller. There's like chili heads that were out in uh, a lot of the Native American tribes. There were some that were supposed to be like chili heads that got a high off of eating hot chilies. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes when I eat like really, really spicy peppers, you get like a little head rush and kind of a numbing feeling. Now, however, when it comes to increasing circulation to get blood pumping... Uh, straight up, no scientific evidence for it. The book that I was looking at just pretty much said there's been no studies that have suggested that. There's been nothing, anything in general. And we're going to see like an overarching theme to a lot of ways that um, you can actually have these aphrodisiac properties work. So you're saying that there's been no like scientific evidence to prove that eating this food will increase your blood circulation. For one, there's been very little studies. Right. Okay. Because that's what I was going to get to. There's also been not much to suggest that it would in the first place. There's nothing really that would be like, okay, this is a good reason why this would happen. Other than the endorphin effect. But that's just, endorphins are just the happy drugs in general that your brain makes naturally. So that kind of cuts that one down pretty quick. But I guess there's another little primer that I forgot to mention. 
the things that I've seen for aphrodisiacs is either there's a law of similars, which we have talked on before and we're going to get to in some of these, but there's also some with just association, uh, like smells of something does it. I mean, aphrodisiacs is one of the oldest things in the world. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, I think aphrodisiacs, prostitution, and masonry are the, the three oldest professions. Like, being an alchemist that can helps people make more babies. Yeah, yeah. Being the lady that helps people make more babies. And then the guy that makes the house for the lady that makes more babies. So Nailed it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but according to Susan Mayer, a clinical psych- psychologist in Philadelphia, maybe while you're eating those hot peppers, your brain remembers those feelings and goes, oh, I have a similar experience, except I was horizontal and not vertical, and I was with my lover. And so you start what? making those associations. <laughs> so... No, she's an actual psychologist, and she's pretty much saying, again, she's a sexologist, actually. Um, But she's pretty much saying, yeah, there might be something with that, but it's not due to the actual pepper itself. It's due to the association between the two. Yeah, okay. So a lot of these are conditionals, I would say. I was going to say, yeah, okay. And um, I'm going to go into what actually would be considered an aphrodisiac, like how the whole, how boners work. We're going to talk about that later, but oh, I'm excited. it isn't important right now, but hot chili is supposed to be one of those things for both men and women to just get you nice and fiery and hot. And I think it's really word association too. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, they say things are spicy when they're also sexy or sexy when they're also spicy or spicy when they're really dang. We're going to eat the world's sexiest pepper. Uh, so the one I'm going to be talking about first is asparagus and avocados. Which, Ryan, I used to hate avocados, and I've been so wrong before in my life. They're wonderful. Dude, they're awesome. Yeah. It's so, sad that they're extra to put on anything. I, I, it's always worth the charge. Yeah, I would Every say time. so. Except for Chipotle, because Chipotle is never worth anything. Um, We both know that I've had a bad experience with Chipotle, and I'm never going back. Yeah. They made my tummy hurt. So, the claim is that asparagus and avocados, they are both rich in vitamin E that helps your body churn out hormones, which, here we go again, Ryan, circulate your blood and increase sexual stimulation, especially in the lady bits. That sounds a lot similar to what we had beforehand. Yes. The chilies. Now, when it pertains to asparagus, here's the thing that I really liked. You know who's one of the first people to mention them being an aphrodisiac? Who? Ann Landers? No. No, a little older. Our boy. Pliny the Elder. Really? Yep. I didn't know avocados were around that. Oh, you're talking asparagus. about asparagus. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So asparagus does make your pee smell. I don't know if you knew that. I found that out the hard way. Yeah. It it like it's a very noticeable odor. Which, See, I didn't notice that until I started eating asparagus like in full. I used to eat it just like in sushi rolls and stuff because uh-huh. you know most of the time like snow crab rolls have like a little bit of asparagus in there or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But after I started eating it like grilled or pretty much any way possible, I don't think I've eaten asparagus soup, but I, I would. I would too. Uh, when I started eating that, I was like, oh, something smells different. I was like, ah, asparagus, that's what they joke about in Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah, now you get it. Um, I, I Personally, I don't. it doesn't bother me that my pee smells because, you know, I like my own brand. So, um, Oh, also Greg's People. I did find this. Greg's People, the French, once believed that eating it three days straight before your wedding night was great in order to increase your libido. Okay. So were Greg's people right? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, like you said, there's nothing that proves that eating this food will increase your circulation. That just that doesn't happen, especially something that's not hot. It's just it's literally just a vegetable. Did they say what chemical in there would account for? Vitamin E. That was the big e. one, which vitamin E is also known as the I believe it's called the sexual vitamin. I believe I'm saying that. Yeah. Uh, the sex vitamin. Yeah. 
That's what vitamin E is referred to as. Okay. So maybe I can see where it comes from because I would say, like, you know, all these things, like we said before, extracts work. You know, we talk about cranberry extract, right, UTIs. Right, right. You have to eat, like, a lot of cranberries by themselves if you really wanted to have any observable effect. I feel like it might be the same thing with asparagus. Maybe there's some vitamin E that would actually help with vasocirculation. Well, here's the thing, though. Like, so one, Asparagus is phallic, so I guess if you want to use that, you can go down that road. But We will go down that road. <laughs> it does increase energy, so the big thing about it is that it, it neutralizes the excess ammonia, which, do, which ammonia decreases your sexual desires and everything. So like, there is some truth to that, but just because you're eating asparagus doesn't mean that you'll be able to last longer or anything like that. Maybe three days of just asparagus before the wedding night would be okay, but who <sighs> knows? Now, with avocados, though, when the Montezuma shared avocados with Cortez and his fellow conquistadors... Bad move. Shouldn't have shared anything with him. Well, the Aztecs explained that their name... And I'm going to say this terrible. I'm not even going to be close, but here we go. Ahuctal? Ahuctal? Maybe. It means testicle. If you see some X's, just put H's in there and just <laughs> jumble it all up. So the best. They, they called the avocados basically testicles because of their physical appearance, but also from their ability to increase sexual passion. So the Aztecs believed that. Oh, just like how uh, eggs in Spanish, uh, huevos, it's also a uh, uh, euphemism for testicles. Yeah. Huevos. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and the Aztecs actually believed that this was such a powerful aphrodisiac. They would not allow their women who were virgins to leave the house while they were being harvested. That, the, not the women being harvested, the avocados. Don't touch the avocados. <laughs> oh, and uh, Louis XIV, um, that helped his aging libido, avocados. Louis XIV was responsible for so much random shit. Yeah. Like our state. Yeah, well, that's one thing. Wait, was it Louis XIV or 15th? I'm pretty sure it's 14th. 14th. Greg, it's 14th. you're on that one. Just confirm it. Yeah. We're, pretty sure, we're pretty sure. So, I mean, just kind of like going back to what you said, though, with, with the chilies, Ryan, like there's no way that actually says like by eating asparagus and avocados that it's going to increase your libido or anything like that. But they are rich in the vitamins and nutrients, which can help you not be a more tired and be increase your sexual drive. But it's not like a, you like, there's no magic formula, which I think is going to be a very like reoccurring thing. Oh, so it was Louis the 14th. Yeah, it was Louis the 14th. So, but that would, that would also, you'd see some correlation where people are just hornier these days because they put avocado on everything. California would be going buck wild with the population increase. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Well, but yeah, that's uh, that's all I have for asparagus and avocados. But uh, avocados are good for omega three fatty acids. Very good fats. Ryan, let's just let's hold on. We'll get there. Oh, okay. We'll get there. I didn't know. All right, my we'll bad. So the next one is where I was talking about um, the law of similars <laughs> that we were talking about. Here's the next thing from Cosmo number three: bananas. Banana. The quote. Another reason to think about sex when you wrap your lips around this phallus-shaped fruit? Yum. Chiquitas deliver potassium. That's a brand plug right there. Um, <laughs> a key muscle to strength. So when you orgasm, the contractions will be super intense. What? I'm just going to go ahead <laughs> and say um, there actually has been a lot of association. And I have, uh, uh, I'm going to read the quote in the book later. But there has been, a, all the way down the line, an association where, you know, kidney beans help the kidney and stuff like that. Uh, and in this case, bananas are a good libido increasing fruit because they what look like a, phall a phallus. Yeah. And then oysters, which happen to look a little bit like a vagina, if you ask the right people. And that's also going to be in the list later. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but bananas, they just said, oh, well, potassium probably does it. 
Now, there are a lot better sources of potassium in your diet, and this doesn't make it any better. Bananas, no, just straight up. <laughs> I could not find a single scholarly article that even talked about bananas and their potassium, like the potential for potassium to be better for muscle strength. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, yeah, potassium will help your muscle strength, but that doesn't mean you'll just all of a sudden be able to like do a no-kegel orgasm. You have to just... I don't know. I, it doesn't work like that. But essentially, they're just going for the fact that it looks like a dick. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Ryan, you know what kind of foods are shaped like dicks? The best kind. So we're shaping into this where it seems like... Oh, yeah. bro. It's, that means hot dogs could potentially be a good aphrodisiac as well. Uh. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, um, well, you know, I think there's this overarching thing that's coming in that says... It's a power of suggestion type of deal. Almost yeah. a placebo, if you will. Right. So like And popsicles. they're just they're tacking on these little things. They're just like, what are bananas known for? Potassium and radiation and looking like dicks. We can just throw that into the article right there. Just sprinkle it in there. See if they notice. I feel bad because we should have like gone to the writer of this article first and asked where they got the source. Because um, maybe that would have clarified things. But I have not found anything to suggest bananas are actually a good aphrodisiac. And also, doing research for this episode was miserable. Oh because my God, the amount of clickbait I had to fucking go through. <laughs> Jesus. That and Yahoo Answers. Oh, I, I mean, I just by default stay away from Yahoo Answers unless I just want a good laugh. But dude, the amount of like top 10 foods to increase your sexual drive, top 10 foods to make your penis bigger, top 10 foods to get her in the mood. I'm like, I don't care about any of this. I just want some science people. And this is the exact type of stuff because um, we can get into the dangers of this, but it's shaping up to be like, wow, this is a big snake oil episode that we completely like ignored when we were talking about InfoWars and uh, Dr. Oz. Not that they haven't talked about this stuff. It's just it's not their center thing that they got in a lot of trouble for. Well, moving on. Let's get to the next ingredient in a blue banana. <laughs> Sick reference, bro. Uh, chocolate. Chocolate. And the claim is that chocolate is rich in, and I'm Ryan, you're going to yell at me, but I'm going to do my best. Chocolate is rich in phenylethylamine. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. All right, cool. Which gives you the happy feels to do the dirty deed. You should have just told him, no, you're wrong. Then say it the exact same way <laughs> as if you phenol- said it differently. It's, it's phenylethylamine, just letting you know. If you say it the exact same way as if somehow it's different. It's leviosa, <laughs> not leviosa. It's like the Chinese language. It's the tone that you say it with. <laughs> Phenylethylamine is what our brain releases. There it is. It is what our brain releases when we fall in love or are super happy. Now, the Mayans used to trade the cacao beans at the brothel for some loving back in the day. Okay. So I did like, so I should mention with these, like I did try to see how far back I could go to find like where they might come from like these, um, like where they might pull like, oh, these are sexual fruits or they would um, have some kind of basis for being like an aphrodisiac or whatever. Dude, Mayan brothel sounds like an awesome burlesque show. It does. But <laughs> real quick uh, theory right here. So what you just said, the chocolate has the compound that makes you have those good, happy love feelings and everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. it would not make sense if that if you could just eat that, that you would just trade those seeds and beans over to the brothel runners. Or the, the I guess the prostitutes in the brothel. Mm-hmm. I just realized it. They didn't know it would do that, but the people running the brothel did know it would do that. So they're trying to collect all the things that could give you the alternative to go into a brothel. It's a monopoly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They are cornering the market. They are making a drought. Yeah. So that's smart. And uh, the other thing is that Casanova talked about... Oh, you got in Casanova there too? Mm-hmm. You talked about uh, consuming a lot of chocolate. And, Greg, do you, you know, want to talk about Giancomo Casanova? Do you know about him at all? I mean, 
not enough to go in Giacomo detail Casanova. of not enough to like off the top of my head to give appropriate well, detail. I mean, all you need to know is that he was an Italian stallion. So continue because I'm going to hit Casanova as well. Okay. Well, so chocolate contains the phenylethylamine, but it also contains tryptophan. Yes. Oh, the, we talked about. No, we have not talked about tryptophan I, yet. I, no, I think we briefly mentioned it one time. We want to do like a Thanksgiving episode eventually, which I think still really needs to happen. But tryptophan's the the turkey drug. Right. Yeah. Um, but that. But apparently, it uh, it increases your serotonin levels. Yes. It is a. Um, it has a serotonin base. So now, saying all this about chocolate, Valentine's Day makes a hell of a lot more sense, huh? Oh, yeah, you glow, you go, Glen Coco. Yeah, okay, makes sense. I thought it was just an evil plot by Hallmark and Russell Stover. So many researchers believe that uh, <laughs> the amount of these elements found in chocolate are too small to make a difference. So sorry to burst your bubble. So every other damn thing in this list, pretty much. Yep, there have been no links between sexual arousal and chocolate. Like no studies that have found that. Uh, and actually, a study in the Sexual Journal of Medicine did a study on 163 women, and they were all around the age of 35. Now, I don't know the plus and minus on it, but, you know, a general grouping around the age of 35. And they found no links between their sexual tendencies and the amount of chocolate they consumed. So they gave some women no chocolate, some women one serving of chocolate, and other women three servings of chocolate. And granted, they did have to do self-reports on themselves and talk about, like, their sexual stimulation if their libido or sex drive was increased or anything but oh but boy the acne on the three serving girls <laughs> sick reference bro but yeah they never found any 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 increase in anything so that about neutralizes that one moving on greg you got anything on casanova so the kind of cliff notes version is that in the 18th century um oh god i cannot pronounce this so i'm gonna get welcome railed giacomo is it's there's no way it's Giacomo. Mm-hmm. And I just do that. Okay, whatever. Uh, Giacomo Casanova, um, 18th century Italian adventurer and writer, and he was really known. He's used as like a big authority for understanding um, classical life and society in Italy during that time. But he became particularly known um, for his exploits and affairs with women, um, namely many women, uh, regardless of their relationship status, <laughs> and uh, basically to the point where. The term being a Casanova, like it became a reference to that specifically. It's uh, it's kind of a literary shorthand for just any sort of womanizer. Um, yeah, that kind of, it's kind of it in a nutshell. We'll put it in the show notes. It's a, uh, an old Sean Connery, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, Sean Connery's old, but I mean like an older Sean Connery. I don't know if he talked about slapping women though, like Sean Connery did. No. Not a nice person. Mm. So moving on to the next thing that Casanova was talking about, uh, oysters. And the Cosmo article says. We know, we know. Oysters and aphrodisiac sound so cliched, yes, but does. they really can spark randiness. These shellfish are brimming with zinc, mm. a mineral that cranks up the production of testosterone, which yeah. has been linked to a higher sex drive. Now, that's true. Testosterone does help with the higher sex drive. And also, Casanova, our boy, said that he ate as many as 50 oysters a day to keep his libido going. So, the thing is, is that uh, according to an NCBI article, this is the first one that I've seen that actually might have some Credence? grounding in it. Really? Yeah. Uh, there is actually a chance that the zinc uh, levels in a body can actually help to regulate uh, testosterone increases, or at least stops testosterone from decreasing as much. They found out in a study by the NCBI, uh, that NCBI published that in a group of males that had a zinc deficiency in their diet, uh, there was a correlation to lower testosterone levels. So 
I thought that was pretty damn interesting. But I'm going to go ahead and get into the law of similarity bit uh, that I was talking about earlier from the book Natural Aphrodisiacs. Yeah. Likewise, oysters, clams, mussels, figs, peaches, and, Africa, and apricots have a reputation to stimulate sexual desire. It was believed that they are stimulating because they resemble female genitalia, while peaches and apricots have a variety of erotic uh, cleft. So they're just saying, like, peaches look like a butt, or I guess like a, yeah. I do like sending the eggplant emoji and the peach emoji together. He just sends it to me every morning. It says good morning, and it has one on one end, one on the other. Well, sometimes I do the taco and the hot dog, and then other times I do the donut and the banana. Uh, some of these products can be rationalized on scientific concept. For example, oysters and clams are high in zinc, which is essential for the production of testosterone, which could increase testosterone levels and low libido. Yeah. So the remaining products are myth, though. So this is the first one that has some basis in it. So eat up some oysters, man. But the deal is it doesn't do stuff for ladies. It just says testosterone. I, I don't like raw oysters. They look like big boogers. I know you do. I've gone to eat raw oysters with you and your dad before, dude, and I just can't do dude, it. Dude, okay, I can't. I can say this. Rarely will you see me eating a raw oyster that's just the oyster. Usually I, know, I have you a cracker, with like horseradish, and a cracker, and like lemon and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, usually it's like I'm not wild about them. It's, I'll, it's I'll a, eat if I have it's to. It's a cracker. It's like rude not to, but I, I don't generally. It's rude. a cracker, the oyster, and then some cocktail sauce that's loaded with enough horseradish to kill a baby. Like it is ridiculous how much I put on there. <laughs> it's just like I like the rush of that, and it's more the vessel for the horseradish, but. Well, Occasionally, some oysters are so good that I'll have them. But like uh, the one in Japan where they just cook it on the grill without mm-hmm. like charboiling it or anything like that, it's just the oyster and its own juices. Delicious. I could do something like that. I could do charbroiled and I could do fried as well. But raw, nah, bruh. Yeah. So, so you done with that? I'm done. So on to pomegranates. Now, Cosmopolitan says that the palm owes its passion power to antioxidants, which protect the lining of blood vessels, allowing more blood to course through them. The upshot, increased genital sensitivity. Who's reading this article? We keep changing every time. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, the thing that I found interesting about pomegranates was that some people believe that the story of Adam and Eve was not actually an apple, but it was a pomegranate instead. Really? Yeah, I didn't know... I didn't know that, but apparently... I don't know where apples are, um, I guess, endogenous to, but that's not the right word to it. I know what you mean. I, I don't know either. But I know pomegranates are a Middle Eastern thing, and I suppose the Garden of Eden was somewhere in the Middle East. So. I, yeah, I guess so, but I mean, apparently uh, pomegranates are just a big f- fruit that people know about, and I didn't. So. I consider them to be the boiled crab of the fruit family. I hate pomegranates because they're so damn hard to peel. Well, some people believe that the abundance of seeds is a symbol of fertility and, ab- and uh, abundance. Ah. So I think that has some kind of credence to this. But um, there was a 2011 study by Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh that found that pomegranate juice lowered, the l- lowered cortisol levels, which is a steroid hormone. Now, cortisol is one of the fight or flight type of response hormones. Right. And people like to point to this study as a reason why it's an aphrodisiac. But there's one problem with this study. The people who funded it, pomegranate. (laughs) (laughs) So take that with a grain of salt. Okay, so I will say this, though. It is not that unheard of for like a company to say, hey, we need a booster sale, so we need to find some legit facts to, you know, shoot out to the public about our stuff that would be true. So it, sometimes I go back and forth on, you know, things that are funded by certain interest groups. Right. But sometimes it's just to be like, well, we want to make sure our product is good and we want to actually tout it. However, if they do it, then that makes it difficult to like really give it complete credence. And that's the thing is like, th- I think there is some basis for this, but at the same time, 
Like, you do have to understand that the people who benefit the most from this study are the ones who gave well, it the money. This is especially right now with all the everyone really so mad about like bias and fake news and all these things. And everyone's like, go to the source, go to the source and Turn look at everything. Yes, yeah, it is like that. That's more than ever. We're debating that. But it's definitely gotten to this. I liked what you said, Ryan, because it gets to this. Uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because someone funded it doesn't mean it's necessarily corrupt and broken. Right. Because maybe like. They're checking something that, like, who the hell else would fund it? It's so niche and directly relevant to them. But it does mean, like, look at the results carefully. Look at the method. Like, that's, some, that's, you know, that's what like I'm saying. Tobacco. Everyone thinks it's tobacco. Tobacco funded showing that it doesn't hurt them. It was in their invested interest to prove it was safe. So that was a little more clear cut. But it's not always like that. You know, everybody's different. And I will yeah. say that we've had interviews. That we had an interview with Truth in Advertising. Very good interview that we did. I loved it. But, you know. Uh, Tina. <laughs> they were great. She was talking about how, you know, some people just say something and just assume nobody's going to call them out on it. Yeah. I like the idea that are probably that there are probably some companies out there that are just like, we want to hold our product to a higher standard. So we want to actually give you the cold, hard facts about it. I believe that there are some companies out there. Tesla. However, there's yeah. yeah However, there are also mean. other companies that we've seen time and time again that just want a better bullet point to sell things to you, even if it's true or not. You Blur know, photos. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I'm sorry, David, David. www.darkmyths.com <laughs> <laughs> For the uh, best alternative facts in podcasting. So continue with pomegranate? No, that, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so like there is some basis there, but like I said, you, you just, you have to kind of be wary of the results. Yeah. So, and there was no chemicals that were listed that would potentially have a nice benefit to it? Or was it just like, let's feed them pomegranate and see if they start f***ing? Well, it was the, um, the fight or flight one. I mean, oh, yeah, cortisol. Yeah, sorry, that, thank that, you. Yeah, yeah cortisol. Huh. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know cortisol would be in there because I guess that makes sense because cortisol makes you really tense and you got to be really like smooth and relaxed if you're just going to get it on or unless you're a really regret aggressive lover. But, you know, don't knock until you try it, right? Mm, yeah, well, hate boners are real. We talked about that. <laughs> it's from a fly Snapchat. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching this article for MaxiFlex and I got so mad. <laughs> Put it to my stories. So anyway, uh, moving on to the next guy. Red, Red wine. wine. Make me feel so fine. <laughs> and according to the article, besides relaxing you faster than a neck grub can, red wine contains resveratrol. Pretty much the opposite of uh, cortisol, actually. I was going to say. That was an aside. Yeah. An antioxidant that helps boost blood flow and improve circulation before <laughs> and after <laughs> and during intercourse. Wait. One of them helps cortisol. One of them negates cortisol. So like... But they both are aphrodisiacs? No, 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 no. Uh, no, the pomegranate's supposed to negate cortisol. So both of them are doing kind of the same thing. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So anyway, a uh, little bit of it before I get too much into that. So it says pretty much reservatrols in red wine. Therefore, you can go ahead and uh, just be a little bit more relaxed to get in the mood. And it'll help with the blood flow. Fucking. Yeah. So anyway, a uh, little aside that I read in this book. This book has tons of tidbits like this. That's why I recommend it so much. So... Back in the Babylonian days, apparently the um, bride and groom, after they got married, this is almost like 4,000 years back, the bride and groom, when they got married, would drink mead, honey wine, mm -hmm. for about a month after the marriage so they'd have good fertility chances. And they referred to this time as the honeymoon, or the honey month. Uh... Crazy sh**. I really hope that that guy wasn't pulling that out of his ass, though. <laughs> Because I trusted a PhD guy on something history related. Greg would correct me on that, though. He knows all of history. Yeah, yeah let me tell you. 
So resveratrol is a chemical released by many plants, such as grapes and berry bushes. So that's a little uh, leg up for red wine right there uh, when under stress or being attacked by mites or disease. So it's also known as a vasorelaxant. So what it does is it kind of just allows the the blood vessels to open up for more blood to flow in. Now, it's very well known. Once again, we're going to get into the um, basis behind how an erection or female stimulation works, too. And um, it's almost the same thing, essentially. Um, We've already talked about the whole idea behind like a clitoris and a penis and stuff like that in the sex episode. Yeah, it's been established. Yeah. And I'm not trying to get too vulgar about it, but we've already talked about that. It kind of works as the uh, the stimulation works in pretty much the same way. The same way, yeah, yeah. So a vasorelaxant would help blood flow get to those parts and therefore cause for a better sex life right there. So it makes sense. Uh, now, but for an aphrodisiac activity, uh, what I saw was a different NCBI article that, once again, in the show notes, for a different type of verb that had high resveratrol in it. Now, what it's going to say is that in male rats, results have shown that sexual parameters are stimulated. Furthermore, after oral administration at high dose, this plant causes no mortality or changes in rats' behavior. So it does have a sexually stimulating effect in rats. There have been no human trials for this, though. Oh, I, I can actually, I think I can prove this one. Have you ever been out at 3 a.m. and had a lot of alcohol in you and just realized that you just want to go home with someone? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alcohol's a solution there. Well, aside from the Very questionable scientific. morales there, I'm going to counter you with something. Okay. Whiskey dick. Oh, that's not a real thing. So, what? Are you kidding me? Some people can't get it up when they're too drunk. I mean, th- that's, that is true, but I think that's alcohol wiener, not whiskey wiener. Oh, I mean, he's using the shorthand, I yeah, believe, to refer dick. to the entire... Like the, the conglomerate of alcohol. Yeah. Save itself, it for the yeah. next Rumor Flies episode for on alcohol. Whiskey but dick. I think whiskey dick more applies to like the whole of alcohol. It's not just whiskey. Okay. It just sounds better. Vodka dick just sounds really sounds gross vulgar. and Russian. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but we had a little bit of vodka um, today. I need to get going. Okay. Greg Sorry, has guys. to go and do his actual, you know, money paying job. So, yeah. So, y'all have fun and uh, don't blow up the podcast while I'm gone. No promises. So, uh, that, but that's what I'm talking about. I feel like. The counter effect would be you not being in the right, um, I mean, men would at least sometimes not be able to actually get it up and perform, you know? Yeah, I guess you're right about that. I, I mean, I I have had people who just flat out admitted like, yeah, when I drink too much, I can't do anything. So I think that's a very valid point right there. But I mean, supposedly Reservatrol will help with at least a little bit of something. If you can so. manage to mentally get there, I guess it'll help you physically a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, next one. Chocolate? No, we did chocolate. Pomegranate? No, we did pomegranate. Salmon. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the notes and like, did it, did it, did it. This is actually uh, salmon and walnuts. And Ryan, this is actually where we come back to the omega omega three fatty acids. So Cosmopolitan says they're packed with omega three fatty acids, which keeps sex hormone production at its peak. Mad Hatter now. Hey guys. What? New Star Wars trailer. Just yell there. Yeah, uh, I, I already watched it. I yeah. Watch it yet. Yeah. I haven't watched yet either, but... Bye. That's why I've had an erection this entire time. Love y'all. <laughs> I wonder if that picked up. Yeah, I know. So this one's actually really quick and easy. These foods do increase your omega-3 fatty acids, but it doesn't necessarily increase your sex drive directly. It balances out your hormones, which makes you healthier and more active, and it could lead to an increase in your sexual drive. So there's so many maybes and coulds in this. But that's, like, that's the thing, though, is that, like, 
it could potentially increase all of those things, but there's no actual way to say, like, like I said, there's no magic formula. There's no way by saying that if you eat, you know, grilled salmon with walnuts on top, you're going to be able to f for hours after anything like that. It just, that doesn't happen. There's nobody saying that it won't happen. That is also true. That is also very true, Ryan. So it comes back to these omega-3s just being good for hormone regulation. Well, it's actually just good for hormones in general. Like, it's actually a very good thing to have in your body. A lot of people, like, people take fish oil. Like, that's very high in omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah, people do the uh, do the, keto- the ketogenic diet a lot. Like, hail omega-3s pretty mm-hmm. much. So yeah. omega-6s apparently aren't as nice for you, which is a problem because I eat tons of sunflower seeds. Like, ridiculous amounts. But, yeah. Um, so I-, I feel like this, this writer's being a little bit... Um, Shady? Yeah, because... The writer could have easily just taken the article and just like been like, okay, let's go with one that has omega threes in it and just put that down in mm-hmm. there. You know, you can do one from each category because there are tons of aphrodisiacs out there. This is just, I guess, some of the more uh, stylish ones, but a lot of them are for the same damn reason. Just you know, lump them into the same little bullet point. I don't know. But it, it, Ryan, more clicks, more page views, more money. You know, surprisingly, this article did not require you to click to go to the next uh, the next topic. Yeah. So I will give them that. Of course, this may have been made before the age of clickbait. <laughs> do you have the uh, article up right now? Yeah, I do. When was it made? 2010. Yeah, so it's a little bit before, you know, everything got so buzzfeedy. Anyway, so rounding out for me, number nine, vanilla. Vanilla. And the article says... Post-dinner, devour ice cream flavored with this sweet bean. It mildly stimulates nerves, making sexual sensations feel even better. What the fuck, man? Like, they aren't even giving me shit to work with. It's just words. It's just so annoying. This article has been driving me nuts because I'm just like, I feel like I am not being able to give the proper amount of research because I have to go and find the potential reasons for them. Mm-hmm. And You're guess what? The there are none in this one. It pisses me the fuck off. I've been trying to deal with this the entire time, like... I don't know what I'm going to do for this episode because i got to find like a chemical or some other reason. There's lore to it, I guess, but just it's just ridiculous. They are just saying, oh, just vanilla. They, they, they stopped giving you like reasons. They, just, they got lazier as this article went down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's ridiculous. And I'll prove that in my last topic. So interestingly enough, uh, I'll have some backup stuff here. As I was looking up so many different sources like from different google searches and everything to find some sort of scientific evidence for vanilla either proving for or against i thought i got something when i got to quora which by the way i think rumor flies has a quora now i think so greg i wish he was still here we have a quora look us up and we'll probably be answering some things for you yeah so have fun with that anyway this person on quora somebody was asking is vanilla an aphrodisiac and why somebody here said and I guess Core is a good platform for answering questions. You just got to have the right qualified people. So for us, <laughs> I don't know. But um, this user says, yes, vanilla is an aphrodisiac. My mom published a cookbook about aphrodisiacs. As an adult, she studied the chemistry of foods, both local and foreign, for their inf- for unique effects on the human body and mind. Combining her food science studies and her love for helping others achieve greater intimacy, she poured the next 10 years of her life into creating the recipes contained in this aphrodisiac cookbook. Here's an excerpt from the book. It might answer your question. And here's the quote from it. Did they link the book, by the way? Yes. Okay. I'm not going to mention it, but it'll be easy to find. Yeah. Uh, As with men, vanilla is a powerful sexual plant for women. Vanilla creates a feeling of comfort and peace, encouraging a sense of safety for a lot of women. If you are planning a slow and exciting sex, slow and exciting, okay, whatever. All right, those, uh, those, those things aren't really. You, you definitely should add a pinch of vanilla to your dessert or to a drink. 
What? How much f***ing food science years and, like, loans did you go through to write that little bit about vanilla? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting worked up about this just because, like, that was a big, like, backing right there. She's like, yeah, she did tons of food science studies, and she put 10 years in this book, and, then and she it's gives that you, paragraph. And then she gives you a very inordinate amount, a pinch. It's the damn Cosmo article, but with two more sentences, and it is, even, it is drawing in even more assumptions. Yeah. Because, number one, not everybody likes vanilla. That, let's go with that right there, They're you know? Wrong. I mean, I like vanilla. I love vanilla. It's fine, but not everybody likes it. And also, encouraging a sense of safety for women, it's like, that's almost like date rapey levels for the yeah, man. Yeah, like, I, I didn't like that language at all that she picked. Like, We're going to go ahead and warm her up and psychologically remove her barriers by putting some vanilla scent in there. Yeah, That dude, sounded yeah. kind of Cosbian. Like, I don't No, that's not a very good thing to do. Um, Don't agree with that. Yeah, it it made me feel weird reading that. I mean, I know a a woman wrote that. It's just, that's a lot of assumptions right there. And uh, once again, there's no backing to it. Yeah. However, I saw another article uh, after that terrible one from Cora that was saying something to the extent of they did this study and it was just, didn't serve the message or anything. They just said it was an association by smell. And these smells included lavender and pumpkin pie, Donut and black licorice and pumpkin pie and donut. So I guess those are combinations. I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't normally combine any of those things. That I mean, sounds awful. A pumpkin pie donut would be okay, but that would be. But everything else, like a lavender pumpkin pie, would make me vomit immediately. Like I will be soft for weeks afterwards if mm-hmm. I was to smell that. I don't know, <laughs> or even try it. Ugh. Sorry for getting a little bit too explicit, but that that would happen. The last uh, sentence says, however, mature men were most aroused by just one simple smell, dot, 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 vanilla. Um, real quick, I'm wondering who they had involved for this study because they said, however, mature men were most aroused by just one simple smell. Well, we're, so what, did, what, yeah, what? Did, <laughs> <laughs> you see where I'm going here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, I want you to smell these things and then just, you know, don't be shy. Don't put your hands over it. I, I, they didn't talk about anything else in the study. I don't, they didn't qualify what mature men were. Does that mean just like 60 and over or something like that? Like seniors or something like that? Right. Like does is a mature man, like once you qualify for AARP, are you mature? Like how does that work? I would hope that all the men in there were mature for this study. Regardless of the vagaries of that, it's once again in association by smell. Like for instance, when somebody says, um, when you smell vanilla, what do you associate with? People say sweet. It's because nobody eats anything with vanilla that's not sweet in general. Vanilla is not sweet. I have a whole bag of it downstairs that we could just chomp down on, and it's not going to be good. You're not going to get a sweet taste to it. It's, the, it's that and cinnamon, too. Cinnamon's not actually sweet. It's because it's always mixed with sugar. So that can be done in the same way of just, like, you know, all these nice, simple scents and everything can be associated with, uh, you It's know, conditioning. Yeah, sexual... It's conditioning. Yeah. All of this is essentially a placebo effect or just association. So you could say that actually in a certain type of culture or a certain type of society, yes, these can be aphrodisiacs. But in terms of the way they work chemically and as a one-size-fits-all yeah, deal... that's what I was going to say. None of these things, except potentially oysters, is working. And then if we're going to go for that, it, the oysters only really work for men because it's a tos- uh, testosterone. Yeah. And that's, so yeah. this has been a lot of non-starters. Uh, well, I got I got one more, which I think when you talk about getting lazy, like the last one in, in the article is just pure laziness. Okay. <laughs> uh, my last topic is going to be watermelon. Now, <laughs> the article says, make yours a watermelon martini. First off, you're adding something else into the equation besides watermelon. Alcohol. Yeah, exactly. So f- off right there. 
The juicy fruit contains the... Wait, we're putting gum in our martinis now? <laughs> the juicy fruit contains... Oh, Christ. All right. Um, the juicy fruit contains the phytonutrient citrulline. Sure. I sure. never heard of it. Which leads to an uptick in the amount of nitric oxide in your body. This Ooh. spike causes blood vessels to relax and speeds up circulation. There it is again. As a result, you'll get more aroused in less time. Now, actually, I would like to talk about that. Then. Did, did you do any more research for that? Yes. Okay. So nitric oxide is important. And that, that was the, what it said in the article, nitric oxide. Mm-hmm. Wow. They actually weren't too lazy on that one. But keep going. I'll explain why. So watermelon is 92% water, which I don't know if you knew that. The remaining 8% contains the, the phytonutrient, citrulline, like I said, which converts to arginine, an amino acid that relaxes blood vessels. Mm-hmm. On board so far. But before you decide to just do an all-watermelon diet, beware, because watermelon contains an antioxidant, lycopene? Lycopene? Uh, Lycopene. Lycopene. I was right the first time. Um, It contains lycopene, which is the same... Which is in the same family as carotene, which we've talked about before, and therefore has the same beneficial antioxidant effects. Cool. But it is also an anti-estrogenic, one doctor says. uh, Dr. Sony Sierra, who is a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist in Toronto's LifeQuest Center for Reproductive Medicine. So a very high volume, and this is what he says, quote, so a very high volume may block estrogen and prevent the lining of the uterus from growing in the fertilized egg from um, from implanting. Okay. So it might be a better, uh, very, very makeshift form of birth control, I guess. Like it's, you think that like, oh, well, this is good for me. I'm just going to eat it. And that'll give me a better chance to like get pregnant or to be more aroused, whatever. But it can actually do more harm than good if that's what you're trying to do if you eat too much of it. I don't think it's going to have to do anything with the arousal one way or another because, I mean, if it just has to do with it's just the result of having sex, I well, that's guess. That's the thing is that they claim it gives you this arousal effects, but this actually more talks about the the reproductive effects. Anti-estrogenic. So I guess maybe the men should just like pound down some watermelon and oysters. Oh, just make like a shake out of that. Uh, nope. <laughs> so actually what you can do, I've seen a little like nifty thing. I don't know. It was on Pinterest or some shit, maybe BuzzFeed. It was, uh, they cut a square into a watermelon and they put a hand blender in there and just uh, completely stirred it all up. And then they put like a half of a solo cup in there and you could use it as a pour out and you have yourself a lot of instant watermelon shake. And you can spike it if you want to If o- with oysters if you really want to have a good workout. Hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> okay, pass. I might not even go there. No. But I do see a penalty shot coming in the future. For Greg. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know about this. <laughs> the oyster watermelon shot? Because down here in Louisiana, we actually do have oyster shooters, which yeah. is like a lot of people do vodka, cocktail sauce, and an oyster. I don't like vodka, so I just do tequila instead. But it's not bad, honestly. If you like oysters, it's kind of okay. Uh, I've never done it. I have no desire to do it either. Some people are gagging right now. I just know it. Mm-hmm. So that wraps up the article, right? Yeah, I, I, that, that's all of everything that Cosmopol- Cosmopolitan published. Now that we're done just like throwing every one of those things in the trash, uh, like, I don't know, I feel like we were particularly aggressive against this article, but well, I'm not as angry as I am against like Dr. Oz or uh, let's say Infowars for things that might hurt people. However, there are a few that will. There have been certain aphrodisiacs. Like I said, this has been around for a very long time. Yeah, a long, long time. Uh, everybody has wanted to get it up forever so they try to find ways to do it better so pretty much what i found is that there were a few instances in even the 90s and early 2000s where there have been certain um over-the-counter stuff like you always see it like horny goat weed and stuff like that Mm -hmm. all all that type of deal um like certain aphrodisiacs that 
they sell, you know, at random gas stations or at sex shops. And one of them was actually it killed a couple people because it had uh, toad venom in it. Bufotin, I think it's called, or something like that. Bufotin. Oh, we talked about this yeah, before. Yeah, we did. Well, there's several different venoms in that little cocktail, but they were using the one that does not make you trip balls. It just kills you. So, I mean, it's crazy what this industry can do. I mean, obviously, aphrodisiacs have been dangerous, too, throughout uh, time, because look at rhinos. Nearly extinct because of the rhino horn. Uh, tiger penis is hailed as a aphrodisiac as well. So many different things that are just kind of hoodwinking Generally innocent people that don't know any better, but the mm-hmm. people that do know better are just going with it anyway. Yeah. So it's a sad thing. It's a money-making business, unfortunately. And now that we've talked about this, I was thinking about, so, you know, all these aphrodisiacs seem to not work, but Viagra does. Right. And then I was like, so what do they make Viagra, Viagra with? Because, you know, a lot of drugs end up being, you know, made as uh, from a base of some sort of herb or, you know, natural thing in the environment. I looked up Viagra, also known as uh, sildenafil. Uh, sildenafil. Okay. I think that's the right way to say it. Yeah, sure. Um, and it turns out that <laughs> they have all the constituents that you need to make Viagra on Wikipedia. And it's a, it's just a lab process. It's not really made from anything in general. Uh, it Well, like a, a particular herb or anything, huh. which is kind of funny. So I'm going to go into the ones on this uh, Natural Aphrodisiacs book. It's going to be a little bit of reading right here. But it's going to be the idea of what works and what doesn't. So we're going to go ahead with what this doctor said. What is the best aphrodisiac of all? The best aphrodisiac of all can't be bought online in stores, off television, or ordered on a magazine. The best aphrodisiac is your partner who is gentle and caring, full of warmth and willing to explore new techniques. Everyone has his or her own desire to accomplish sexual pleasure. It is very pertinent for both the partner to care for each other, for each other's needs that turn them on. And then, let's see, uh, they have the next part. So, he's basically saying, like, don't just have sex, make love. Yeah, oh, it gets, it turns into just some sex therapy here. Oh, wow. This guy. (laughs) I'm going to go with the the, the end. The best aphrodisiac is a woman with a waist of a fine shape, well-endowed with beauty, charm, intellect, soft-spoken, not cavilling, and skillful in the art of making love and caring. In other words, a woman whose very presence delights her partner and arouses him sexually is the ultimate aphrodisiac. Likewise, the man can be a good aphrodisiac for a woman who is keen to please her. He must possess good personality, handsome, healthy, intelligent, not autocratic, true, and sincere in his speech with women. He must keep his words. He must be generous, truthful, brave, and pleasant in conversation. Also, being rich might help. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But um, this guy, he has kind of like a little bit of romantic uh, flavor to him when it comes to this. However, the next chapter that he has, he has the future of natural aphrodisiacs. And he gives a very succinct thing of the limitations of what's considered an aphrodisiac. And the things that's happening right now is that there's a shortage of studies and a lack of clinical data. We talked about that. Um, There's only studies conducted on animals. Things are misbranded in spurious, or in spurious herbal aphrodisiacs, like the one we talked about with uh, the toads. Um, Interactions with prescription drugs or inferior products on the market. So that's something we didn't even talk about. Yeah, we didn't even go there. You could actually, you know, a lot of things that are vasodilators can do something bad for you if you're already on blood thinners. Thing, bad things can happen. Um, let's see. There's picking the right product, restriction on licensing, and shortage of studies, and lack of clinical data. He put that twice. Okay. I guess it's that important. <laughs> yeah, he went he went from A to H, and then he put A afterwards. Um, but he had a few interesting things. He listed a few good uh, things that are listed in uh, 
his article in his book that might be good aphrodisiacs. And that's where we're going to get into the science of an erection. So the thing that actually helps with an erection and similarly, like an enlarged clitoris is something called nitric oxide and nitric oxide allows for more vasodilation. So it allows those things to enlarge and stiffen. I mean, there's no way around saying that. Expand. Yes. The way to get a boner is to get more blood flow down there. Yeah, yeah. So nitric oxide helps that. And then there is another chemical called PDE5, which inhibits that. So huh. what Viagra does is it inhibits the PDE5 from yeah. happening. So that, that gets rid of the whole issue of the, um, uh, I guess they call it what? Um, what's the thing when you can't get it up? What do they call it? Erectile dysfunction. Yeah, there you go. Man, that took me a while to think of. So there's a few different things that actually help with the nitric oxide. Uh, Yohimbe, which is something that you can get over the counter. Um, ginkgo, which has been used for a long time, helps with about uh, with nitric oxide. Didn't uh, they make jeans? What's that? Didn't they make a pair of jeans? Those are Jenkos. Oh, okay. I still wear them all the time. <laughs> uh, ginseng is great in, res- in helping to uh, inhibit the PDE5. Okay. So that's awesome, too. It's weird because I've seen all these things on the counter, and I was like, oh, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. These actually have some credence, but it might also be in, like, you know, you need a lot of it for it to work. Right. Uh, yeah. L-arginine, like we were talking about, amino acid, also found in a lot of pre-workouts. And then Spanish fly, but that does not have too much of a um, background behind it. But it's one of those that have shown some um, positive effect, but apparently can also permanently scar urethral tissue and infect the gas and uh, you can stop there. I don't want to hear the rest of it based off that first thought. The urinary tract. <laughs> I can't pronounce that. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And it can cause an engorged vulva and vagina, both which are often painful. So let's go ahead and not take Spanish fly then. No. But ginseng and ginkgo, if you really just want a kind of like low cost type of deal, doesn't require, require prescri- prescription, mm-hmm. try it, you know. But finally, uh, here's the bonus, Josh. We have something that can give you a nice erection for four or more hours. Please contact your doctor. What's that? Uh, there's a certain type of venom called TX26. And it is can, and it can actually do the exact opposite of the inhibiting the PDE5. It just boosts the nitric oxide intake and helps you get a boner for longer. And that venom comes from the bite of something known as the Brazilian wandering spider. Nope. Yep. Nope. This episode's yep. over. Bye, everybody. <laughs> so this spider is actually, I was always so confused because people were like, when I talk to somebody, I see a banana spider uh, down here that's known as the spider with like the big yellow carapace and has the big webs. It's mm-hmm. like about six inches uh, across. It's, it's a pretty pretty spider if you're not terrified of them. Yeah, it well, looks cool. I wouldn't know. It's not venomous, though. So that thing, I was like, oh, that's just a banana spider. People are like, no, banana spiders are really venomous. And I was like, what are you talking about? It turns out that the Brazilian wandering spider is also known as the banana spider because uh, when they were uh, shipping bananas from Brazil on boats into Europe, those spiders would get in the banana. Yeah, they would hitch a ride on there and be known as banana spiders afterwards. Not only that, that's why they have that sailor's uh, superstition of not having bananas on boats. Ah. It's all coming together. It's crazy. This book actually put some of that in there. It's awesome. But anyway, this venom has been shown to actually give... I mean, it also has other venoms in that cocktail. Like we said, there's multiple venoms inside of a single bite. But it's known as potentially one of the world's most deadly spiders, even though it's a bit of a, um, an exaggeration. But the other venoms that it has can kill you if not treated properly. But this one, at least you'll 
you'll go to you'll go into they'll, the Neverland be, able to f- like crazy. So they, they won't be able to close the casket, is what you're saying. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the last nail in the coffin. Oh god. So I just thought you would like that right no, there. I don't like it at all. I don't no? like it even a little. You don't like it? Nope. Okay. Can't say that I do. Well, anyway, so. This is Cosmo article. Maybe they have good articles elsewhere. Maybe some relationship this advice. This one wasn't good. Yeah, this one was not good. No. We're sorry, but we can't give you points on this one. No. Uh, thank you for listening. I guess the thing is, do what works for you. Have a good lover. That's a good aphrodisiac for yeah. you. Uh, you know, actually... A lover that likes oysters. A lava lava. Yeah. Almost a lava lava. So, uh, you got anything else, Josh? Uh, no, but I will just say, you know, guys, please write us a, a review on iTunes, preferably five stars, as we, we mentioned over and over again. Oh, Greg's not here. We have to do it. Yeah, so that's why I'm doing it. Um, you know, we've gotten uh, an increase in, in reviews lately, and they've all been pretty solid. So thank all of you. I'm, I don't want to just say they've all been five stars. because Hey, prove to us that you can write a better review than all the people before us. That's right. That's how we do it. Uh, so that's always very, you know, nice of you to do. You can find us on facebook.com slash rumorflies. We are, uh, our website is rumorfliespodcast.com. We are at rumorflies on Twitter and Instagram. We are youtube.com slash C slash rumorflies. We're rumorflies on Google Plus. I think that's everything. Yeah, I think it's just about everything. Uh, now we have Cora. Just Google us. We don't know what Greg did with that. I don't, I don't so. know what Greg did that either. Yeah. Um, also, you can find us on darkmyths.org. we got a bunch of great other podcasts over there, so go check that out. Definitely. And this episode's closing song is going to be called Love Sick by Killer B. Yeah, so, yeah. as always, I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. I'm Greg. Happy birthday, buddy. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. Sometimes feel more than whole, but the wholeness was a rather luxury.